So we've done, I think this is the 48th episode of this podcast. And in 48 episodes, I don't think I've gotten to talk about something that I love until until episode 48. Lauren, do you know what that thing is that I love that I haven't been able to talk about in 48 episodes? I bet you can guess. No, not if you haven't talked about it. How would I know? Oh, because you tweeted about it a few weeks ago. You know that I love it. I just haven't talked about it on air. What have I tweeted about? Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? No. Um, we talked about that. What did I tweet about? Bruce Springsteen. Oh, you've talked about Bruce Springsteen on this show 100%. Have I? 100%. In what context? We had a whole episode about about music. Yeah, but I don't think I talked about Bruce. I could be wrong, but I thought we only talked about like scores and not like rock and roll. Oh no. I swear we talked about Bruce like five times. I don't well, okay, then we're going for number six. Because <laughs> okay. you know what? This episode is called Ties That Bind, which is obviously, as everyone knows, the name of the opening track on Bruce's seminal nineteen eighty double album The River. It's one of my top ten Springsteen songs. And so just this once I'm breaking my rule. For the last couple seasons I've been only playing songs by women at the top of the show uh but just this once we're gonna kick off the show with the boss so here is the ties that bind hey everybody welcome back to shira progressive of power once again i'm eric and i'm lauren uh, we're back from that wonderful Bruce Springsteen song. We're back from sunny Los Angeles, California. If you're our Facebook fans, you saw we were in L.A. last week. We'll talk about that in the future. And we brought home a life-size statue of Shrek that we stole. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. I wish that was true. That statue was tight. I thought it looked awesome, and we talked about it a lot, and the, our, our friends who made She-Ra did not seem so fond of him. They didn't have very many nice things to say about the Shrek statue. Well, maybe if I had to go every day to a place where Shrek was guarding it, I'd feel weird about Shrek. But it being a novelty, I found it uh, very charming. More charming, in fact, than the actual movies. That's that's fair. Shrek as a meme is way better than Shrek as a film. Don't at me. Uh, we'll talk more about our trip to L.A. in another episode. I think we're probably going to do just an entire episode about it. We got to talk a lot with our friends at DreamWorks, and I'm just not sure what we're allowed to share versus what was special secret information just for us. So give us a moment to process all that. Plus, a lot of it is just going to be us gushing about how much fun we had, which is like not maybe that compelling for a main episode, but it'll be one of those good off-week episodes. The weather was so nice. There were puppies. Yep. Uh, Magic Castle. Anyway, uh, check out me and Lauren in formal wear on our podcast Facebook page. Speaking of things that you wear that make you look cool, how about that for a transition to our guest for this week? Hey, super nailing it. Today, I have one of my dearest friends, Jess Swick, and she has been a cosplayer friend of mine and just a regular friend of mine for even longer than that. Uh, she works for Arda Wigs. Let's say hello, Jess. Hi. <laughs> Jess, thank you for coming. Um, I have been really wanting to have you on this show at some point because the She-Ra cosplay community has really blown up. Oh, it's huge. And I know that you played like a personal role in bringing like wig recommendations for She-Ra to your customers, right? Yeah. So um, I work in the marketing department at Arda Wigs. I do sort of design content creation and social media. And one of the things we do that is directly related to like um, like show releases and stuff is we offer wig suggestion guides for popular uh, like fandoms and franchises. And She-Ra was one of those where we saw it was coming and we were like, we definitely have to do one for this. 
and it actually hit during our busy season, and we were um, we were two weeks delayed in releasing it after it dropped. And every single day after the Shira first season dropped, we had multiple emails and multiple uh, social media inquiries being like, "Hey, are you guys going to make a wig guide? I really want a wig guide for Shira." And like, it just it was huge. And then we we developed one, and then we dropped it, and we really think that it's been like a really helpful tool for people in the cosplay community. That's so awesome. A lot of the creators uh, at DreamWorks are aware of the cosplay community and they love the cosplay community. They've been sharing photos of costumes at the conventions they appear at. Uh, And they actually did a pre-screening of season two on the DreamWorks campus. And apparently cosplayers were lining up outside of the studio hours in advance and had to be sent away. (laughs) Please come back later. Thank you for dressing up, though. Um, The hair in She-Ra, some of it's pretty complicated, though. Like, y'all don't sell a half pink, half purple flippy bob with stars in it. Like, people still really have to be creative. Yeah, so... um we develop the—we call them wig suggestion guides because we offer um, suggestions for the characters. One of the really things—one of the things that's the coolest thing about cosplay is there's no right or wrong way to do anything, including wigs. Um, we have some styles, like, that are easier to work with when you're trying to cosplay a character, but they're not necessarily the one everybody picks. It's funny you sort of mentioned Glimmer. We actually have a Glimmer-specific tutorial that you can look up on our YouTube, and it shows you exactly how to make like a Glimmer wig that will sparkle. So That's awesome. We will make sure to put a link to that on our Facebook and my Twitter and lots of places so people can see it. Uh, have you cosplayed from She-Ra yourself yet? Uh, no, but I have plans to cosplay from She-Ra. I think I know who it is, but who is it? Uh, it's Scorpia, who yep. is yep. my favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> Every uh, Jess uh, has uh, just a link in my mind with Scorpia. Whenever Scorpia comes on screen, like Jess is my headcanon for her, so I can't wait. I'm a hardcore Scorpia stan, so. <laughs> Lauren, I have a thing uh, that... I have a question to ask you. Okay. So when She-Ra dropped, we mentioned we got like we got added on every basically every social platform we were on um, as Arda. And I want you to guess what the first wig that somebody asked me about was on Twitter. The first wig from She-Ra? Yeah. Like what what should I use for this character? What character was it? Angela. No, it was Seahawk. Oh. <laughs> No, Seahawk is easy, though. Like, cut literally any wig. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was Angela because there's that wig that has my name that kind of looks like Angela. Yeah, we actually have a wig called the Lauren, which is a purple-pink uh, sort of, like, dual-tone wig. And I sent it to Lauren as soon as we released it. And I was like, look, it's Yo, you. Yo, Bay, it's you. <laughs> it's well, you, but it's also Angela. <laughs> because that came out, I thought you must have gotten asked about Angela really early. No, the very first at we got was somebody messaging me on Twitter being like, how do I cosplay (laughs) Seahawk? Everyone knows that like Seahawk isn't my jam, but he's really winning me over to the point where where we were in L.A. I did yell adventure several times. And is there video recording of this? Because I want it for later. I doubt it, but I'll probably do it again. (laughs) I think I think it's stuck now. Uh, By the way, uh, Jess did 
create a lovely pair of gifts for us. And I, I did, well, and I forgot that. She forgot. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna rat you out like that. I was just gonna pretend they were here, but oh, she fine. did forget them. And she made us. I made you guys force captain badges. What? That's yeah. awesome. And um, so. Uh, we'll post pictures of those once. Uh, maybe Jess can take a phone pic or something. But... Yeah, they're very sparkly, um, and they pin onto your bag. I can't wait to crush the alliance. <laughs> I can't wait to just look super fresh. You always look fresh. Oh, you do. Thanks. What was this episode even called? The Ties That Bind. <laughs> All right, so we are talking today about, obviously, the She-Ra episode, Ties That Bind, or else I wouldn't have played that wonderful Bruce Springsteen song at the top. Uh, this is the second episode of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, season two. Uh, it starts with the Horde, quote, taking over the castle at Drill, even though uh, they were basically invited by Entrapta, but the Horde is kind of claiming their territory. And um, we're coming off the heels of the last episode where Glimmer has learned from Bo that Entrapta is still alive. And so Glimmer and Bo go to the castle at Drill alone to, uh, they think, try to save Entrapta, even though she's not there. Meanwhile, Adora actually kind of is relegated to the B-plot in this episode, which is really interesting. Uh, Adora and Swiftwind are trying to restore, like, a tower that will help Light Hope kind of... uh, maintain her form because she's been breaking up technologically so that's there's not a whole lot to say about that plot although it definitely comments on the a plot thematically but most of the episode is um glimmer and bow go to drill they get the drop on catra uh they think catra's torturing entrapta because one of entrapta's experiments has gone awry in the fright zone and they hear a communication of entrapta screaming and so they go crazy um, they kidnap Catra, which they don't intend to do, but it just kind of works out that way. And then they have this debate about, well, what do we do with her? She's the enemy. Uh, Bo kind of wants to let her go because the rebellion doesn't take prisoners. But are, are they even called the rebellion in this show? Actually, I think they're just the alliance. So the alliance doesn't take prisoners. Uh, Glimmer's like, well, we didn't plan to, but since she's here, we should use her as a bargaining chip to get Entrapta back. So they have this really interesting disagreement about that, which is kind of the meat of the episode to me. Uh, but Catra has signaled to Scorpia where she is. So Scorpia and a couple other horde force captain or like horde um, captains show up. They ambush Bo and Glimmer. There's a really cool fight using all their powers. And it's kind of a low powered fight, which is rare for the show, which I liked. Um, and then Catra calls the fright zone on her little communicator. And again, it sounds like Entrapped is being tortured because her machines are going crazy. Um, she gives this ultimatum of let me go or else we'll kill Entrapta. Glimmer assents finally and then finds out the truth that Entrapta is working willingly with the Horde and it breaks her heart. And uh, that's kind of the end of the episode is all the characters are sad except Catra. Well, she gets hit by Scorpia on accident, so Ka- she's Katra's, sad. Catra's kind of low-key sad always, though. There's never True. a moment where Catra's not a little bit sad. But she at least gets the upper hand in this episode, manipulationly speaking. Manipulationly. <laughs> Manipulatively? I don't know the adjectivial form of that word, but I do know adjectivial. 
An important part of this episode uh, is the the B plot is kind of in the background, but we are trying to restore the sacred bond between Shira and her horse the entire time too. And that's what I mean about how it thematically comments on the A plot is that it, this episode is about community, right? So it is very appropriate that we have a a cosplayer here because kind of the whole point of both the A and B plots is like how do we live together. And I think in the A plot, Bo is driving that discussion, and in the B plot, it's Swiftwind. And we have Glimmer and Catra and Adora kind of resisting this community in different ways. One of the things I took note of early in the episode is when Bo and Glimmer go to rescue Entrapta. They have the option of bringing more Alliance members. Bo suggests it as a good thing to do, and Glimmer refuses uh, Glimmer feels so bad about losing Entrapta and leaving her behind that she doesn't want to lose anyone else. And it's kind of a, you know, self-doubt that keeps her from asking for help. And so they go on this mission pretty under-equipped because she doesn't want anyone else to be lost. It's really self-defeating in a way because I think they're probably more likely to lose somebody or more likely to get hurt if they don't bring the help that they need. And that is another uh, recurrent theme in this show is asking your friends to be there when you need the assistance. Yeah, so I find it really interesting that Glimmer wants to go solo considering the fact that um, like, the only time that they've been really successful in the show is when they are actually all working together. Um, and she sort of totes this like no princess left behind thing but then at the same time, she's leaving like all the rest of the princesses behind, which I thought was a really interesting point. That is true. She's leaving them behind, you know, in what she perceives to be safety. But she's also leaving them out of the out of the community. That's one of the big things I really like about this version of Shira. Is even though at this point, from a storytelling perspective, we've seen Glimmer learn this lesson before, and we've seen Adora learn lessons, and we've seen Bo learn lessons. They don't fix themselves or improve themselves 100% right away. They still make the same mistakes and they still have some of the same bad habits. Yeah, they're, they're constantly growing as characters, which is, is really interesting and really nice to see because it makes them complex and deep and it allows people to really see themselves in each of the characters, which is really, really nice for the new show. So one character who, in my opinion, kind of switched their point of view was Swiftwind. So Swiftwind, he is still the super, like, revolutionary character. One of my favorite lines in the entire show was um, him listing the things he likes. (laughs) Apples, hey, toppling on just hierarchies. So that part of him is still consistent. But in season one, he really emphasized the fact that he was no one's horse and he was his own being. And he is super all about being pair bonded with She-Ra in this episode. He's like, I am She-Ra's horse. So I guess he's chill with that concept now. I don't know. Yeah, Swiftwind is really interesting. Um, even in the new show, I knew they were going to kind of do something with him. But I also looked at him as a character. I was like, this guy's here to sell toys. Like... I and like that's such a such a generic thing from the old show but like I was like okay it's a rainbow horse he kind of has like he has some personality but like it's not going to be a major plot point and it really changes it around when he uh he like really really wants to help Shira and it's just it's just so interesting that they gave him like a depth I wasn't expecting 
I think he's very effective comic relief. And then that the part at the end is very sweet and emotional where kind of his moral to Adora, he says, like, I've got the chance to change the world now to make it better than I found it. I can't imagine ever going back. Like, that's that's really cool. Um, Swiftwind's great. I also love that in his fantasy of the show, everyone is unicorns. Yeah, I, I had a note about that, too. I was like, I love his, like, my little pony of everybody in his brain. Does that mean that he sees everyone as horses? <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, maybe we shouldn't unpack that too hard. <laughs> but that is fascinating. Everyone is equal in a very literal way. You seem stressed. Why don't we list all our favorite things until we feel better? I'll go first. Apples, hay, toppling on just hierarchies. Apples, wait, I said that already. <laughs> so talking about community... You know, we do have someone here who um, is very, actually two someones who are very enmeshed in uh, a specific cosplay community. And so it is pretty appropriate, Jess, that we have you on this episode. Um, Lauren has mentioned before there's some kind of gatekeeping that goes on in that community, some bad feelings, some uh, some stuff that doesn't belong anywhere, but especially in a hobby that's just meant to bring brightness to people. So, like, did you feel any kind of personal connection to, to what you were seeing in this episode? Uh, yeah. So one of the things that does come up in the cosplay community, unfortunately, is uh, there's a sense of people who can and can't do certain things, especially when it comes to um, how you look or uh, your skill level or your age or your... Just, like, a, a thing that's, like, completely uncontrollable about you. Um, and one of the things that, like, I'm a big proponent of is that cosplay is for everyone. Um, and I don't think that there should be limitations set on people just because other people think that's the case. We definitely see Glimmer reach her limit several times in this episode. And sidebar, Glimmer running out of magic and then suddenly having enough magic gets really spammed in this season and if I had one critique of the season that would be it I think I think that was a little overused but to your point Jess Bo can run out of arrows and Glimmer can run out of magic and they don't have each other's talents they have their own talents and they each bring something special to the alliance just like I don't think I'm very good at sewing I think I'm pretty freaking good at painting, though, and I'm pretty good at some forms of crafting. And so in a community where people could bring their skill sets together and make better things together and have more fun together, you would hope that's what everyone wanted to do. And it isn't always. Yeah, a lot of times it becomes um, like a really uh, unfortunately hyper-personalized contest in be like between certain people. And I think that that's kind of a negative thing because like you said it would be a lot easier if people were just willing to learn from each other and share with each other and like understand that like hey I'm good at this and no I'm not very good at this and um, like teaching and learning from each other is such an important and interesting thing in the cosplay community like I have learned so many skills that I never would have picked up if I had not had this hobby and like they've become things that I'm really, really good at because I've been cosplaying for 15 years and I've put like many, many hours into sewing and fabricating and sculpting and uh, even like doing like really minor 3D rendering now with the like new technologies that are available for cosplay. It's just, it's grown and evolved over time and being open to learning and being open to sharing what I know with 
uh, my friends and other people in the community has really, really helped me expand my skill set. And I think that that's something that can sort of be seen in this episode. Um, Glimmer really needs to be, at least I, I think that Glimmer needs to be more open with her own limitations, um, especially to Bo. One of the the things that they have a major conflict with is Bo's like, you like th- this isn't really what we should be doing, and Glimmer feels such a such a sense of guilt uh, in regards to Entrapta that she sort of confronts Catra, who is like she's one of the bigger bads, and like Glimmer may or may not be like a hundred percent equipped to deal with her. And Bo is trying to like pull her back and be like, you don't need to like lose your sense of self just because like you've be- been confronted with Catra, and Glimmer sort of like falters in her own um, like personal ethics and things like that. Yeah, for sure. I have been cosplaying for over a decade. I've gone in and out of it a little bit more. I haven't been doing it as constantly or consistently as you have because it's not my career. But I fully admit that in moments of like jealousy or uh, moments when I'm feeling inferior, I might think something judgmental about another cosplayer. You know, like their jewelry isn't perfectly 3D printed like mine is, why are they getting so much attention? And I hate when that part of me comes out because that's not who I strive to be. And to be fair, I think we're really emphasizing the negative. There is so much support and educational positive material out there. Yeah, there are a ton of people, I'm sorry, there are a ton of people who um, do like tote and push the idea constantly that like, um, I want to teach you and I want to learn from you. And that's, it's really, really nice and refreshing to see that. amidst the negativity. Yeah, Arda's been doing those tutorial videos all the time, and that was not always a part of the business, and it's really exciting to see the sort of teaching component come into the work you do, because I remember when you applied for that job, and (laughs) that wasn't within the scope of it back then. That's so cool. Yeah, um, I actually don't do a lot of the videos. I do a lot of the video editing, but... You were in one of the videos. (laughs) I was in one of the videos as a model, (laughs) where they put a wig on my head. Um, Yeah, but basically, like... Again, um, even in regards to my job, um, multiple people help uh, make a final product, and it's definitely apparent in what I do, especially, like, with content creation. Like, I will do illustrations, or I'll do coding, or I'll do design, and my coworkers will do, like, the filming that I need to do the editing for, or they'll do the idea planning that will eventually become this other thing. And like, it's, it is a multi-person process and it's, it's a team effort. And like, that's something that you really need to like understand when it comes down to like learning different skills is like, you can't do everything yourself. And like, no, no one person is equipped with every single skill right off the bat. Like you need to take time learning and developing them. Yeah, I have a personal anecdote which happened right before Star Wars Celebration, which was I spent a whole day, and by that I mean I wasted a whole day, trying to make my jewelry for Kira from Solo, and it just wasn't working out. I didn't like what I made, and I sort of put a call out there onto social media, and shout out to Manny Aldana, who I don't think listens to this show. (laughs) One of my former museum employees was like, I have a laser cutter. I'm going to laser cut this out for you. Did it for free, delivered it to me. And I don't have that resource available in my life. But someone just stepped up and had it to offer because they were feeling generous. And hopefully I'll be able to do a favor like that for him too. Um, Back when I was cosplaying from Adventure Time, uh, my husband was the Ice King. And he created an Ice King crown uh, 3D print 
the instructions for the 3D print went out onto the internet, and now, like, it's basically the standard crown that nice. Ice King cosplayers wear. Like, it's on the internet, it's available to people, anyone can print it out, and now it's a part of the communal knowledge. Everyone gets to use it. And uh, that's, you know, frankly, the kind of teamwork that the princesses use when they're succeeding. <gasps> Is this our sacred bond? We've talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to address it head on because to me the really fascinating thing about this episode, the the big dilemma that it poses is – so Catra is the prisoner of Bo and Glimmer and they both have divergent viewpoints as to what is the proper way to treat her. And so I think the issue that ties directly into our point as a podcast is who is correct. And for just a second, I'd like to reference a show we never, ever talk about, which is the 2002 reboot of Masters of the Universe, because oh. this reminded me of an episode in there called Turnabout, which is Man-at-Arms invents a device that makes Skeletor not be evil. Like, if he has <laughs> evil thoughts, it kind of turns him off. Uh, but then oh, Skeletor no. figures That's out... actually really terrifying. It's scary. Yeah. But then Skeletor figures out a way to inverse it and give it to He-Man. So now Skeletor can't do evil, but He-Man can't do good. And like the climax of the episode, I haven't seen this in years, so I'm just, I'm remembering it based on a Wikipedia summary. The climax of the episode is like He-Man is holding Skeletor over a cliff and trying to decide whether he should drop him. And like that wasn't the position that He-Man intended to be in, but now that he's here and now that his harness is off and he can do good again, he has to deal really seriously with the question of should I kill Skeletor? Um, and I remember watching this in college debating with my friends whether it would be just for He-Man to, if Skeletor was in this position naturally, to let him fall, which is kind of the dilemma of both fucking first Batman movies, right? Is Batman lets Joker fall. Batman says uh, to um, Qui-Gon Jinn, well, I don't have to save you, or I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you. I don't, none of those have ever sat well with me. So in turnabout, He-Man saves Skeletor because he's He-Man. Batman doesn't save Joker. Batman doesn't save Qui-Gon Jinn. Glimmer is Batman. Bo is He-Man. <laughs> Who's right? Shout out for you saying Qui-Gon Jinn over and over. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the name in Batman. Who is he? Raja Ghoul. Okay. I was, I was sitting here and I was like, I think that's wrong. <laughs> this is such a good fanfic. Anyway. <laughs> I know it's not Qui-Gon Jinn. I just didn't remember his name. It's Liam Neeson that's playing Raja Ghoul, right? It's the crossover we yes. never deserved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of the most powerful lines in this episode really challenge Glimmer, but also our sort of ethical, moral compass. The whole idea of this episode is, do you lower yourselves down to the level of your oppressor? Um, you know, if I don't know if we've had the, like, should you punch Nazis argument on this show or not. And I'm super pro-punching Nazi because if you don't punch a Nazi, they will kill you. So you might as well punch them first. But this is a kid's show, right? And what we want to teach the kids at home is... Don't hit, be better, be greater. Um, Bo literally says, we're not them. Even though Glimmer is out of magic, she can throw a punch if she wants, and it's her choice as to whether or not she's going to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in the end, 
doesn't doesn't she kind of choose she's, both? She, she does throw a punch at the end. Right. She like doesn't and we learn the lesson, but then right at the end she throws a sucker punch and kind of undoes the lesson. Well, Catra's being kind of kind of a jerk to her. Like she's really pushing all of her buttons throughout this whole experience. Well, maybe that's the lesson then, right? Like maybe we get to see Glimmer show restraint and show maturity and make the right choice, but then there's got to be a limit. I remember having this conversation with Noelle Stevenson herself when we were saying some atrocities are just atrocities. Sometimes evil is just evil. And at least for Glimmer, maybe in this moment, Catra crossed a line and truly was evil and got rocked. Yeah, she was holding herself back. And then Catra said that one thing. And that was that was the last straw. But Bo kind of arcs that way, too, where at first he tries to stop Glimmer from doing any harm. But at the end, he's kind of like, nah, whatever. You know, <laughs> I the most convincing thing I've heard about punching Nazis, which weirdly came from my libertarian leaning coworker at the time, was we were talking about it in the store. And he was like, you know, you don't have to punch someone. But you can still be happy he got punched. And I'm like, all right, I'll buy that. Because, like, I'm not really a punching person, but I'm not sad that other people are punching Nazis. Well, one thing that I think we're unfortunately having to learn again as a political society is that if you let evil fester, it will keep pushing the boundary and it will keep pushing harder and it will keep doing more evil. So... You know, what starts out, I mentioned this, that I wasn't going to talk about it, but I'm going to. What starts out as, like, you can't get an abortion in the third trimester suddenly becomes, in Georgia, you can't get an abortion after six weeks. And then it becomes, even if you plan to leave the state and do that elsewhere, states' rights are out the window. We're coming for you. Now that's a crime, too. You have to draw a line somewhere because if you're moderate— and you continue to let people go, those who aren't acting with the same moral compass or those who aren't respecting your rights the way you're respecting theirs, they're just going to keep taking and taking and taking. Um, I think we're seeing that right now. And I'm happy that this show is kind of giving us both points of view. It's saying, be good, be moral, be right, but draw a line in the sand when you have to because... As we see in later episodes this season, Hordak is not effing around. No, he's really not. <laughs> and, the, and then also this show, I think, complicates it in a fascinating way by begging the question of what happens when pragmatism comes into this? Because as Glimmer points out, she doesn't mean to capture Catra. Like, that's not their end game. Uh, but once it happens, like, well, do we just let her go or do we waste this huge advantage that we've been given, you know, and I'm a little more on the side of like take advantage of pragmatic things, even if they do bend your ethics a little bit. Um, I think there's all sorts of things happening in the government right now where like if the Democrats would just be a little more uh, be a little more gritty and stop kind of high minding it. Uh, you know, I think maybe Nancy Pelosi would be a little more of an effective leader if she was more of a glimmer and less of a bow. Although Bo is way, way cooler than Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> like a hundred times. Yeah, the the rise of Joe Biden is a real problem for me in this regard because I feel like once again the Democrats are trying to go in this direction of, well, if we give the conservatives some stuff to relate to, those people in the middle surely will come out to vote and vote Democrat. And how many presidential candidates have we seen looking at you like Al Gore that we tried that tactic with and it didn't work? 
there is another theme here in this episode that is physical violence is maybe not the only weapon that you have. Because some of the the nastiest sort of most affecting quotes are in this episode. I wrote down, I'm not in your head. You're just very bad at hiding your feelings. I also wrote that one and down. And I also wrote down, <laughs> she didn't run away from the horde. She ran away from you. I wrote that down too. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's low blow stuff, but not wrong. Yeah, just pointed this out earlier that Glimmer and Catra really snipe at each other. And that's kind of the most affecting parts in the episode. I do want to pause because we're actually addressing a fan letter right now, and I might as well read it to you so the fan knows that we're talking about her. This is our fan, Faye Taylor. She's listening to us from the UK. Faye asks, what we thought of Catra and Glimmer as they interacted in episode two. It's the first time we really see Catra interact with anyone from the Rebellion that isn't Adora. Uh, And we're kind of talking about that already. I just wanted to make sure everyone knew we were doing it for a reason. Uh, And one of the things that really struck me about the Catra-Glimmer relationship is that it reminded me of stuff that we've talked about on this show before. When you have someone who you know personally and is in your life and you know they have feelings and an agenda and they just disagree with you, like Catra and Glimmer talk to each other like... You know, you and your, like, racist uncle on Thanksgiving, you know, you're like, we're stuck together and I'm trying to respect you, but I'm going to get some digs in. And the fact that Glimmer goes straight for that relationship with Adora, she's like, I I know how much you care about Adora and I know how much that friendship meant to you and you screwed it up. That's cutting in a way that only those people who truly know you can. I also think that there's an interesting dynamic between the old best friend and new best friend, mm. um, which, like, Glimmer really throws back at Katra after Katra starts pushing her buttons pretty hard. Because, again, the quote is, Adora didn't run away from the horde, she ran away from you, and that's really the first time um, you see Katra crack, like, her sort of, like, naggy, childish, annoying persona she's been throwing on since they captured her, and it's the first time you really see her get angry about something in the situation that she, like, Katra herself feels like she has control over, even though she's the, in quotes, hostage. Like, she knows what she's doing, and she's manipulating them the whole time, and that's really the first point where she loses the control that she has over the situation is when Glimmer throws in her face, like, I'm the new best friend. It's not you anymore. Scorpia is such a powerhouse in episodes like this, too, in the sense that we see her in the horde trying to be a good friend and, like, a supportive collaborator. And I think she actually has legit feelings for Catra romantically, maybe in this season, too. That's my read on it. But when she's, quote-unquote, at work uh, with the Horde, she's very violent. The, like, animations of her stinging people, like, right at the camera, always make me wince a little bit. Uh, Scorpio is one of my favorite characters, though, because I truly feel that if they weren't on opposite sides of this, you know political or whatever you want to call this conflict, Scorpio would probably get along with a lot of the princesses. I'm really hoping that we see some sort of Scorpia redemption plot or explanation plot before the end of this, because her downfall as a princess is one of the most fascinating parts of this show to me. Yeah, I have so many questions about Scorpia. Um, I have questions about her gem. I have questions about her broken power. I have questions about her... um, like how she ended up where she is and her alliances. And one of the things that I find really interesting about her 
um, is how committed she is to Katra. Um, mostly because, like, she was put in a position where she was a force captain and then Katra was put as a force captain basically above her. And she's like, cool, I'm going to, like, help you out and follow you and, like, support you in any way I can because that's what I'm supposed to do. And, like, that's – it's very, like – it feels very princess, even though, like, she's on the Horde side. Like, the princess part of her is reading through in the way that she, like, respects and supports and wants to, like, lift Catra up just in every interaction they have. I do have to say, anecdotally, I never made this connection until literally this moment because I'm sitting across the table from Jess talking about cosplay. But that was sort of the arc of our, like, cosplay relationship is I, <laughs> I stopped doing it at a time when you like made it your career and you're so much better than me at it now and you're supposed to be like you do it 24 hours a day seven days a week oh it's my career and my hobby now even though i don't well (laughs) making cosplay is not my career but my cause my career is rooted in the like subgenre of cosplay for sure for sure and i think it's somewhere in my slytherin personality to be just like a jealous jerk about that (laughs) and instead i'm just in awe of jess and i'm like a total cheerleader for jess and i'm like that's my beautiful friend oh thank you and so i uh before we started recording this i was like the message of this podcast should be like be a princess not a member of the horde but Scorpia is horde, and she's pretty cool. So it's, I guess it's more nuanced than that. But, I mean, I just met Jess, but she seems way nicer than Catra. <laughs> I thought you were going to say she seems way nicer than me. I'm glad you didn't go there. Why would I ever say that on air? That's the kind of shit I vlog about on my personal Twitter. <laughs> the one that nobody can read. That's, That's right. my diary under my bed. Two <laughs> <laughs> can play at that game. Catra! Oh, you touch her again. Easy there, big gal. She's not going to try anything. They're noble rebels, after all. They play by the rules. So to close out this episode, as as I have explained, uh, this episode shares a name with a top ten song by one of my favorite artists. If you were to take your favorite music artist and name an episode of She-Ra after one of their songs, what would the episode be called and what would it be about? Okay, so I'm going to get to Gorillas before Jess can. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our favorite band together, I think, is Gorillaz. I actually wore the Gorillaz t-shirt that Jess gave me while in L.A., and Eric complimented it. Oh, so nice. Mm -hmm. And I would go with the name Last Living Souls, and it would be the episode that finally tells us who Madame Raz is, because Madame Raz is clearly still alive from the Mara period and was definitely around when all of that tragedy happened i don't know if she's literally the last person alive from then but at least as far as we're concerned she is so it's last living souls by gorillas and it is our madam raz episode okay i'm gonna say a brand new colony by the postal service which is one of my favorite tracks by them um and i'm gonna say it's an episode about uh etheria and learning about like um the the other places out in the universe and the other like potential characters and races that can exist out there that's gonna be uh i think both of these episodes are super going to happen (laughs) i hope so well spoiler alert we know that hordak is trying to go somewhere else and so there is a somewhere else out there for us to find 
DreamWorks, if you are still searching for titles, if they're not locked in yet, feel free to use these two. Or you can just name every future episode after Bruce Springsteen songs. Thunder Road, <laughs> Dancing in the Dark, there's endless possibilities. The Ghost of Tom Joad, it's about a 1920s labor worker whose spirit ends up on Etheria. Um, let's see. What are my other top t- uh, My City of Ruins. That one's obvious. We nice. revisit Thamore. Um, okay. We got um, Jungle Land. So, the, okay. These episodes write themselves, DreamWorks. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. <laughs>